Welcome to Business Rules with Peter Feinstein. Now put aside everything you think you know about business practices today and stay right here for the next hour as you're sure to find some surprises and wisdom to help you play the business game right. Now, here is your host, Peter Feinstein. Welcome to today's episode of Business Rules with Peter Feinstein. Every week, we're here with uh, the wild, the woolly guests from all across the country or the globe. You know, I've had a couple of international, and uh, and and today is um, a man who is um, who has been here before. Actually, as a matter of fact, just last week, you'll remember Gary Wilkes. Gary Wilkes has been uh, has been in the uh, the humane industry, uh, the the animal humane industry for. Um, 30 years, three decades. Um, Actually, closer to 40. Closer to 40. I sit corrected because I okay. am sitting. I, I, sometimes I like standing. Well, I tell today. people I spent my first eight years in shelters and animal control. Right. And then I got out for a while because that's a very difficult job to do forever. And then I decided that since I couldn't help animals wholesale, sure, I would do it retail. And I've got 30 years in solving real problems for pet owners and teaching trainers. I do seminars. I'm doing a seminar later in the month in Boise, Idaho, and I just did one in Florida. So passing along effective methods to other trainers then spreads it. And that, I believe, really is the key, is that people, they have animals they can't live with. Well, you know what? There are so many great principles associated with the, um, with the concept of expansion and extension as opposed to withholding and 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 stopping and and I think that there are some there are definitely some subtopics in there that we can touch upon. Um, you know, we we were talking before the show about um, you know the fraud of the humane movement and topics in there. Um, some of the stuff that has to do with uh, the fake service dog mentality and all the things and and so many of these things tend to be restrictive and constrictive. Um, Highly punitive. Well, yeah, and none of that, none of that stuff, is meant to actually help solve problems. So, you know, quick story. Um, and I mean, if you remember from last week, um, Gary's experience spans, like I said, you know, and as he corrected, four decades. Yeah, since um, about 1864, I've been doing this. <laughs> he doesn't look a day over. Wait, how many years is that? No, too many. <laughs> but I mean, he's worked with, you know, he's worked with. Over a thousand dogs basically came through with click training, um, and uh, no, no, cre- cre- created click training for dogs between 1987 and 1992. And um, they had already they had already been working with a thousand dogs when uh, when he and Karen Pryor uh, literally introduced click training uh, to dog trainers. So actually, it's, just to clarify, yeah. During that time, I clicker trained a thousand dogs, primarily by veterinary referral. Sure. And since that time, you can add about another nine thousand to it. So this is thirty years and ten thousand dogs, many of whom, because I work for vets in doing this stuff, many of them are the worst of the worst, up to and including dogs that have neurological disorders, mm-hmm. true brain dysfunction, yep. and deaf dogs, blind dogs, you name it, but especially violent dogs that. It's a part of the species. They have it in them. They don't have to learn it. You just have to trigger it. And 
what I do is kind of disarm the mousetrap and make it so that it won't function that way anymore if I'm successful. And I overwhelmingly am successful. The problem is that there's so many other factors that um, I can stop unacceptable behavior, but then the dog goes into a home. I do my best to pass the baton, but sometimes people get overwhelmed by life and they let it slide. So the goal really in most of these things is that people don't want to live like dogs. They want to live like people who own dogs and the dogs need to learn to live with people and people don't know how to do that. Yeah. And so you have a dog that gets in the garbage and they scold the dog and the dog looks sheepish and looks guilty, which is actually just kind of confused fear, but the behavior comes back. Well, if it keeps coming back, that means that this ritual of the dog doing something that they hate and them getting angry and yelling at the dog and the dog looking sheepish, it has no effect for the future. So it's like putting your finger in a glass of water to change the volume. Well, when you pull your finger out, <laughs> nothing has changed. Right. It's still a glass that's either half empty or half full or whatever, and your finger's wet now. <laughs> so I try to leave lasting solutions. And when I got started back in the early, uh, really late, mid-86, whenever that was, the experts at the time were not offering solutions for the people that I had as clients. And since I'd had eight years in shelters, I knew what people needed. Sure. And the experts were not providing actual solutions, and they still aren't. And so I was sort of forced on my own to develop methods and techniques to really solve the big ones. You want to save, I don't know, 300,000 dogs next year? Let me tell the owners how to stop a dog from charging the front door when the doorbell rings. That's all you got to do. Is anyone in the humane movement or industry teaching people how to do that? No, they're suggesting buying a crate, locking the door. All of their solutions ultimately are deprivation. Yeah. And I don't choose to do that. I want the dog to have a full, robust life. I, if I'm going to deprive a dog of something, it's I'm going to deprive them of an opportunity to bite Aunt Martha. Mm -hmm. That's where deprivation makes sense, where you don't give them an opportunity. However, if you can stop a behavior and inhibit it for the future, it no longer becomes a problem. Right. And that's really one of the keys that I found a long time ago. So I'm highly successful at it. It's highly controversial because, of course, we're just supposed to give them cookies and that's <laughs> supposed to do everything. And those – the people who fight me are basically utopians. They believe in this fantasy. Right. And if you don't believe in their fantasy, they'll hurt you. And here's the big irony. They don't believe you should ever use punishment on a dog, but using punishment on me is just fine because yeah, that, I disagree with them. Right, exactly. So, yeah. Craziness. Yeah, the political correctness um, stands in the way of, I think, all human progress and progress that we can make happen for any number of other species that we interact with. It but is good um, for the t-shirt industry. Yeah. <laughs> you have all these signs of yeah, yeah, the don't be a hater and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, and what's the, um, what's the, oh yeah, I hate mean people. Yeah. Really? Okay. Well, how about, how about your bumper sticker that just says you hate mean people? Does that make you mean? And don't you hate yourself? Ultimately. Okay, never. Yeah. Now that we've gone <laughs> philosophical and <laughs> metaphysical and come up with the aged, aged conundrum of self-loathing. So, 
another great topic yeah, that we'll but we're not going to talk about. We'll sidestep. Until I like later. me. You like you. <laughs> Isn't that a dinosaur song? Purple dinosaur. It is. Yeah. Okay. And I even like your dog. <laughs> Speaking of my dog, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we didn't get into a lot of detail last week, but this week it's something where I wanted to share um, with you listening um, a little bit about Hopper. So um, my wife and I had had uh, two miniature schnauzers as a little bit of the backstory. Lewis Lewis and and Clark. Clark. Exactly. And they were wonder kids. They were amazing. Um, Clark took his own life, and that's a long story, one that, uh, that I'm not going to repeat because it's, uh, it's, it's almost as sad as my having to decide to, uh, to put Louie to rest. Um, but, you know, Clark went first, and then Louie hung around for about a year and a half longer, and, um, and his life got very small. And, uh, and we grieved their, uh, their passings um, individually and collectively for about a year, year and a half. And um, around, um, you know, November, December of 2016, we decided that it was time to go and get another dog. And we weren't going to get a pair. We were just going to get one. And we were thinking about a rescue. And, you know, we went through whatever process there was in a variety of the different rescues. Mm -hmm. And some of them, I mean, it literally went from the ridiculous to the sublime as far as the paperwork and and stuff that we got to fill out or had to fill out. Actually, dog rescue... Yeah. is a subset of the Mueller investigation into Russia collusion. <laughs> so they dispatch FBI agents to see if perhaps your chairman dog might be talking to the Russians. <laughs> I don't doubt it. And Hopper, I'm sure, is. Oh, yeah. so, so we go through this process and, you know, the spiritual side of me says there are no accidents. So the fact that we did not specifically see. And by the way, I would interject that because of that, there's a whole bunch of dried pea stains all over Peter's house. <laughs> because, of course, there are no accidents. So when Hoppa pees into house, that is not an accident. We should leave it. And he has never once. I'm joking. Which is truly remarkable mm-hmm. for any dog. I mean, you know, never mind one that they said, yeah, well, he's mostly house trained. No. That, was, that was literally, the, that, was, that was the phrase that we got. Mostly house trained. I was like, Okay, well, that's cool. I mean, because we can take it the rest of the way because they're learners. Um, And not a single pee or poo in the house. And that's good for the bathroom talk. Okay. But um, so we we come across Hopper, um, what appears to be accidentally – um, and find that this guy who, uh, who really isn't supposed to like men very much and is almost or mostly house trained um, takes a real shine to me. Um, as, as my wife puts it, um, you know, Hopper is my dog. Um, and, if, and if this were her saying it, she would say, Hopper likes me. Hopper idolizes you meaning me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and I think on a very real level, there's truth to that because I see the way he looks at me and the way he looks at her, and it's, it's radically different. But when we got him, um, it was not that way. He was obviously, you know, completely out of whatever element he had been in for years because he was a three-year-old dog 
when we got him and uh, took him to the vet. And I would say that he practically took the vet tech's fingers off at the elbow. And um, and so I thought, you know, <laughs> during the <laughs> during the, the exam where he snapped and snarled and I thought, yeah, this is not going to work. And there's not and it's not something where we're going to give him back um, because it's a life and, you know, and, and he's trainable. I mean, obviously, this is not something that is ground in. Um, it's like all I did was ask the vet. It's like, do you have a resource, anybody that we could call to give us a hand on this? Because, you know, underneath all this, I see just an amazing, lovable creature. And she was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Give Gary a call. And she gave me your phone number. And, um, and we talked and you came. And interestingly, it was, well, let's see. It was like a year and 10 days ago that you had your first session with, with Hopper. Hopper. Hopper, the devil dog. <laughs> he started that way. Yeah, he did. Tell us your impressions. We've had dogs for 15,000 years. We've modified them. We've changed them. And schnauzers are rodent processors. And what they're supposed to do is keep the farmhouse devoid of rats and other vermin and whatever they think they can take on. And they think they can take on anything. Oh, yeah. They're also quite territorial. So if someone comes in the house, they're incredibly threatening. And their bite is just a millimeter away. And so when I met him, bum, bum, bum. Um, a lot of people are going to get that because the ring has that one thingy. <laughs> and so that was Hopper's signal to go nuclear. If he heard that, bam, 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 he's just like. <laughs> so when I came in the room, he was um, just flat out aggressively threatening me as, as much as it gets. And so I realized that one of the first things we had to do was just get that out of there. And I have a system that I've done for many years. I can teach a dog never to cross a candy cane striped piece of rope. And Peter's entry was such that it goes, you come in the house and then there's the dining room and there's a sort of portal that goes into the family room and kitchen. Perfect pinch point. So we taught him that. What that allows you to do is to enter the house and the dog does not get instantly aroused. They actually kind of get calm because they know they can't cross the rope. You can cross the rope, so it's not like a kitty gate. Kitty gates actually tend to fuel up the arousal as the dog's leaping against it and oh, yeah. trying to climb over it or eat through it or whatever. <laughs> and this actually shuts the behavior down. So once we did that, Hopper really started his pathway to normalcy. Yeah. Because they have these behaviors which are not reinforced. They come with the dog. They're part of his DNA. Which means that all of the things about reinforce a, um, a different behavior or whatever or withhold reinforcement. No, nobody ever reinforced this dog for doing that. This is an innate behavior sure. that is going to be there whether you like it or not. And your choice is to inhibit it or once again deprive the dog. Somebody rings the doorbell, you put the dog in a back bedroom. Think of how much they lose by being locked up when guests are in the house. Well, and, and what we lose too because, I mean, it's just one of these things where it's like, you know, it's like I'm going to change my life to accommodate mm -hmm. a dog that barks or snaps or snarls. It's mm -hmm. like, I don't think so. That's not why I got the dog. Well, many people do adapt that way. And what they choose to do then is get rid of the dog. Yeah. And I, my world is I want to keep the dog and I don't want you to have to go out of your way 
to take care of these things, and my business is built around that. Exactly, exactly. We're going to take a break here in just a moment, um, but before we break, and when we come back, by the way, we're going to talk a little bit more about your experience with, uh, with Hopper and, um, and your experience with me and Joanne, mm. because I think that, um, that the person listening wants to kind of be included in that and say, hey, that's pretty cool. I mean, I could actually do that. Uh, but before we do that, what I would like you to do is uh, tell, uh, tell the person listening um, where they can find out about you, whether it's Facebook, if you want to introduce them to YouTube. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, I think the simplest place to find me is to go to Facebook and type in Gary, G-A-R-Y, Wilkes, W-I-L-K-E-S, and look for the guy with the cattle dog basically giving him a French kiss in the ear. <laughs> That's me. And it's a content-oriented Facebook page. I don't use it for aggrandizement particularly. I just put a lot of stuff on there. And you get to ask questions, which means there's no charge. You just do that. And then I have about probably 60 videos on YouTube. And my channel is WilkesGM and the number one. So W-I-L-K-E-S-G-M-1. A lot of stuff on there. And stuff that's pointedly other than what you're going to get elsewhere. And that's, you know what, and that's the amazing part about this, because it's something where I went through the process of looking and learning and uh, found myself getting trained, not just Hopper. We'll come back in two minutes. Be with us and, uh, and enjoy the, uh, the momentary break. Thanks. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com What if you could save 55% or more on your TV advertising? We're Higher Power Marketing, and we can probably save you at least 55% on your TV ad buys. Don't believe me? That's okay. Just go to HPowerMarketing.com and see and hear real success stories from real clients. Then ask us to show you how we can save you money, too. Go to HPowerMarketing.com. That's HPowerMarketing.com. Exceptional media for less. That's HPowerMarketing.com. If you think half of your company's advertising is working, but you're not sure which half, we can help. We're Higher Power Marketing, and we help our clients identify which advertising works and which is wasting their money. And then we fix what's broken so they can get more bang from their advertising buck. If you're not sure which half of your advertising is working, call Higher Power Marketing for help at 800-300-9124. That's 800-300-9124. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events 
to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You're tuned in to Business Rules with Peter Feinstein. Reach out to us with questions and comments at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or connect with Peter via email. The address is businessrules at hpowermarketing.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Business Rules with Peter Feinstein. My guest this week, Gary Wilk. We were talking about um, schnauzers, Hopper specifically, and, uh, and the experience that we had had. And Gary was beginning to recount some of his experience uh, not just in the first uh, the first few minutes with Hopper, um, but then going beyond that. So you know, you meet Hopper, and he's snappalicious and snarly, and uh, and then you know you just kind of set the boundary. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. Dogs have their own repertoires, and it varies from breed to breed. But they are all autonomous creatures; they make their own decisions. And people tend to write them off their pack animals. Well, if you try to raise a pack of schnauzers, half of them will be dead by next year because we've so overly genetically increased their aggression levels that they couldn't live in the wild. And when you get a dog like this, you have to be able to inhibit a behavior, some behavior, any behavior. And the best one in this case is don't charge at the guest making them pee their pants. (laughs) (laughs) So once we got that over, uh, it really spun Hopper's brain around. He'd never experienced that. And we don't know what his first three years were, but I promise you, no one ever took him to task for that or else he would show it. Yeah. And many people want to wallow in the fact that their rescue dog was probably abused because he's so terrified, blah, 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 blah. Oh, gee. Well, let's just take a hint and maybe terrorize the little son of a gun for trying to bite people. (laughs) Apparently, it didn't kill him the first time. Not hardly. And so perhaps we should do something he might not like. And that's exactly what it's all about. Not doing something that's risky, dangerous, traumatic. Those are the pipe dreams of people who hate any kind of unpleasantness in training. You want to do something that the dog perceives as intolerable. Not dangerous, not painful, not any of that. Just intolerable. And since people don't look for these things... You have to either find them accidentally or you have to really investigate to find out what dogs don't, what, what do they not like? And one of the things they don't like are projectiles <laughs> flying at them. So many, Terry cloth. Terry cloth. Although many years ago, the very first time it happened, it was very early in my career, I was working with an Australian cattle dog, very tough breed, and a poodle terrier mix that was all terrier with poodle hair. 
Uh, it was a 30-pound Jack Russell giant with really crappy hair. And um, they were trying to kill each other. The cattle dog's jugular vein had been exposed. Oh. And so at the time, I was still kind of pandering to that positive stuff. And so I was using positive reinforcement. But I had used a squirt gun. Now, people who are all positive invariably use aversive control. They just don't think of it as such. <laughs> but I had correctly paired the word no with a blast of water. Okay. So I'm getting up to leave. It's the third session. And they're about four or five feet from me. One's facing the other one. There's a hallway behind the cattle dog. She's facing me. And then Punky, the... the um, terrier thing is facing the other way and she trust me she's a she's like hopper in terms of tenacity and strength and everything else sure so i yelled the word no because i saw that they were just about to blow up into a fight and because of my animal control and humane stuff trust me i know that i read dogs really well at about 300 moves per minute or whatever i mean i can see what they're doing in real time so i yelled the word no well it froze them because i had correctly associated the word no with a blast of water but I'm five, six feet from the dogs. I got nothing to interfere. I can't get to them with a blast of water, even if I could, because it's in my briefcase, and it's a hard-sided briefcase. I can't throw it. And I looked down, and I picked up an object lying on the top of the couch, and it was a uh, perfectly named item. It was a throw pillow. <laughs> and I picked it up and launched it, and it was kind of a flat, round one. It didn't have any buttons on it or piping. And it zipped out there, because I was a little desperate, so I put some pepper to it. And it zipped over the top of the terrier mix's tail and ears and just skimmed them and hit the cattle dog right between the eyes. It was the first time in my life that such a throw pillow had not hit some family heirloom uh. <laughs> or a flat piece of glass. Right. And then you hear the dreaded, wait till your father gets home. <laughs> but in this case, it actually flew hot, straight, and normal, hit the cattle dog <laughs> in the face. A dog who had, was willing to fight with her jugular vein exposed. I mean, <sighs> we're not talking about some kind of wussy dog. Here. No. She spun around. She ran down the hallway, submissively wetting the whole way, went under a bed, and wouldn't come out for anything. Now, all of the books, even at the time, said that you can't use punishment to control aggression. They were wrong. And I just kind of went, whoa, my, 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 what's Check this, this all out. about? Yeah. And then they, these two dogs who had been trying to almost fight and took an immense amount of monitoring to keep them from fighting, even with what I was doing, did not have a single aggressive episode for two weeks after that. And so I said to myself, I have got to find out how this works. So I used throw pillows for a while, but they're erratic. And eventually I got to the rolled up towel, the bonker, which um, English people will tell you that you can't use that word because it describes a sexual act. And I always tell people, are you perturbed at Home Depot when you're looking for a screw? Yeah. <laughs> and the English, the English have more words for bonking than any other culture on the planet I have maybe it's the Victorian kind of repression I but, think so <laughs> so just trust me that in American the word bong me, bonk means to hit even that is deceptive because people say never hit your dog well wouldn't it matter what you hit them with well yeah because really what we're talking about is does it do harm I mean yeah you don't want to hit them with a hammer no or your fist exactly but a rolled up terry cloth with a Towel? couple of rubber bands around it. Oh, come I on. Mean, I honestly. Mean, and so what you will find now are that the, the ideologically driven people, it's not even that they don't want you to punish the dog. They don't want you to even consider it. Yeah. It's a truly, it's a 
thought police kind of attitude, when the reality is that I save lives by being able to stop a behavior immediately. Yeah. And in the case of Hopper, for instance, um, I said the word no, and I bonked him with a rolled-up towel, and he just kind of went <laughs> like that. Well, now that he can't do that old behavior of trying to bite people, what's he going to do? And the answer is it flips him back into the mode of behaviors that are acceptable because since dogs are social animals, they have a tendency that when they get clobbered, and by the way, folks, clobbered doesn't mean damaged. It's a metaphor. So when he gets clobbered, he will suck up and get straight, even as we do. And so that opens up an opportunity for you to say, oh, yes, Hopper, I like that. And then he can get clicks and treats and yeah, everybody's yeah. happy. What we're trying to do is both stop the behavior immediately because it's dangerous and then inhibit its future return so we don't have to keep fussing with it. Yeah. There was a veterinarian, uh, very popular, who had an interest in behavior. She had this program for teaching a dog to lie down comfortably on a mat rather than rushing the front door. And so she took 20 dogs and she tested a typical scientific kind of ask. It failed miserably because <laughs> it took her four months to get these 20 dogs to not rush the front door. Oh, my goodness. It took actual trainers. She was trying to use this little mechanism thing. She was basically selling through a company that made it as a gimmick. And anyway, it was just worthless kind of self-promotion. And it took 30 minutes a day for these people to train this one behavior. And how many, how long, four, four months. months? to get all 20. Some of them got it in two weeks. Some of them got it in three weeks. And the later. amount of brain damage involved in that is just mind-boggling. Well, what family is this <sighs> that's going to be able to invest 30 minutes of their day every day in for this one, four months. one behavior? One behavior. And she never mentioned how it lasted afterwards. How much time? Was it a half an hour a day for a life? Oh, my god! Whereas with Hopper, his instruction at the front door took less than five minutes. Oh, yeah. And if they go to my um, my Facebook, or not Facebook, my YouTube channel, and go yeah. way, 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 way down at the end, they'll see a dog, and his name is Neil, N-E-A-L, and they can watch less than 10 minutes of taking a dog that had bitten five people and then threatened me, he growled, and so I threw a bonker at him. But if they notice, if they watch it real close, it's a loose piece of terry cloth. He just saw this thing coming at him and went, ah, and he actually screams. <laughs> and then within 10 minutes, I've got him on a leash, and he's close to me. He's taking treats. And then there's another video of him 10 minutes after that. So within a 30-minute time period, I have this dog who's bitten every stranger who's come into the house. And he's not only not biting me, he's off-leash, taking treats from his owner, learning to sit and to lie down and to come. Perfectly normal dog. And so if you can do that in a half an hour, you now have all the other hours they've contracted for to do all the fun stuff because now we've achieved normalcy. And by the way, we've inhibited the potential for aggression, which is what we did with Hopper. Right. And now a year later, Hopper, if you told people what he was like a year ago, and they hadn't met him at the time, they really wouldn't believe it. No, they wouldn't. They wouldn't at all. They'd have no idea. They'd be like, wow. I mean, and, and they've even commented. We have, um, we have um, people who come in to clean the house, and we have a pest control guy and, um, and, you know, and a pool guy. And, you know, he'll bark, but his tail is wagging, and he's oh, yeah. barking 30 feet away, and it's friendly, and it's, hi, how you doing? Yes. N not, come here, let me bite your face off. Um, and... Every, everyone comments, especially 
the uh, the people who clean the house because I mean they're moving around they make sudden moves they're up and down stairs they're in and out of every room all over the house I mean his domain and he just watches them you know he'll either sit on the couch or he'll follow them around but <laughs> but not not do anything and I think you can see that if someone needs a trainer you have to get someone who trains for civil behavior in the real world, and your real world is your house. Let's let's talk about that. I mean, give me a sense of the criteria for choosing a trainer. Well, I mean, what what do people need the, to look for besides you? Yeah, well, they can just stop there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you teach people. So. I do. So <laughs> here's what it has to be. At some point, it doesn't matter what their credentials appear to be. None. There is no national certification for dog trainers. There are a couple of groups out there. They have certifications, and it allows you to put letters after your name and pretend that you're actually trained. I mean, that's really what it is. It's just a marketing scheme. Sure. And you need to find someone who understands that the importance of it all is adjusting the dog's behavior to their life, in effect, customized. I give my clients a wish list, and I say, write this up for me ahead of time so we can keep on track. And then I've always professionally made it an effort to make sure I can give those things. And very broad, you want the dog to ring bells to go outside to, to use the bathroom? Cool. Because if the trainer doesn't have a broad base of focus on pleasing the customer, you got the wrong guy. Ace, also known as the human, not the dog. <laughs> Yeah, well, um, if I'm going to teach you to go fly fishing, we're not dealing with the fish. No. Except theoretically. And then if you keep catching fish, well, we got it nailed. So, yes, it's me training the owners, but I, I do the heavy lifting. I mean, I'm the one that bonked Hopper. So I do all the good stuff up front, and then I pass you the baton so that you can actually maintain it. Right. And I think that's the issue is you need to find someone who understands that you're not going to be a top competition obedience trainer, probably. You just want the dog not to jump on Aunt Martha. Yep. And you have to be able to know how, what happened so that you can maintain it for the future. There's a, a thing called board and train where they take your dog for four weeks and they charge you three or $4,000 and they give yep. you the dog back. And, and a few of them are really good. Most of them, they're going to spend, once again, less than 30 minutes a day with your dog Oh, and by the way, everything they learn is at their place, not yours. Right. So when you bring the dog back, this is like somebody getting out of jail and going back to, you know, the part of Phoenix where they used to steal cars right. with all of their buds. <laughs> and their addicts. And their addicts and everything else. And so, no, you're reintroducing the animal to the original environment that caused the problem in the first place. In the first place. With no restraints. <laughs> so uh, the, they need to look at something where at some point they are hands-on. Yep. And it doesn't mean that, again, there are some board and trains that do it beautifully, that integrate the people in, that make them come and do sessions so they learn what they're doing. Not a problem, but I honestly, sincerely don't think that's the majority. I think the majority of people who offer board and train do it because it's incredibly lucrative. Oh, and by the way, they don't have to be the best trainers. Well, no, because they've got your animal for four weeks. Yeah, if you can't teach a dog to be kind of polite in a month, honestly... And what I have is I usually have about six hours with my clients. I have to make significant strides along there. And that's why with Hopper, for instance, the first time I met him, I got rid of perhaps one of the most important problems he had. Yeah. I just got rid of it. Yep. Now we can get on to some fun stuff and have time for 
um, marshmallows and weenies at night. And, you know, that kind of stuff. Let's have some fun. But the fun has to come after the bottom line is met. And you'll sense that if you're talking to a trainer and you say, well, my biggest problem is that this dog chews up toys, my kid's toys, or shoes. Oh, my God. Teenage kid shoes can be like a fortune, and they grow out of them, and it's like you don't want to lose the pair you just got last week. No. So if you say to them, um, I have this problem that he's destructive with my kid's shoes, if the person doesn't start talking using words like inhibition and pairing consequences with something unpleasant, if they're not talking in that mode, they're going, well, we're going to teach the dog um, whenever he feels like chewing the shoes, we're going to have him roll over. <sighs> No, that's yeah. not, that isn't going to do it. Good luck. So <laughs> if you find someone who is willing to specify it, it all boils down to the single most important question for the vast majority of dog owners. This is it. If your dog trainer can answer this cogently, you're in good shape. How do you stop a single behavior now? Not next week, not next month, now. Because there are behaviors that have to end now because the owner's been dealing with it using haphazard methods for probably two years. And sometimes it's a matter of one of my YouTube videos is two pit bulls who escaped out the front door and rolled the neighbor's poodle. They didn't bite it, but between the two of them, they weighed 145 pounds and the poodle weighed about 15. Yeah. And so they just hit it to be playful. Right. I just love it when somebody goes, but he was only playing. Okay, well, my son was only playing when he drove his pickup truck through the window of the radio shack. <laughs> But he was just having fun. Right. Yeah, big deal. <laughs> so my goal with these two dogs, my one and only goal that I had to achieve above all others was stop them from going out the door. Yeah. Because the county animal control told the owners, if they do it again, we'll kill them. I know that county animal control agency, and they mean it. And they have no problem on a first offense. So that they gave these dogs a second chance was kind of unusual. Yeah. And so I taught them using my boundary, and it's, uh, the video is right there live as it was shot. It took less than six minutes. And to my knowledge, because I call these people back, it lasted for at least two years with no touch-ups. In other words, a one-time thing. And at the end of the video, you see the dogs kind of unnerved. But one of them, I, I joke about the fact that it shows a pit bull going for my throat. Yeah, he's licking me. Yeah. <laughs> so remember that after we've kicked out the most important problem, we have all the opportunity in the world to kiss and make up and be the best of friends. Oh, yeah. And that's what I did with them. I saw them quite a few times more. And he had a serious problem in public on leash that he would try to kill any other dog. That's a problem. But yeah. And so I worked with him on two different topics. So he got to know me really, really well. He didn't hate me ever. No. Only up front, he was kind of disconcerted. So this is like the best metaphor is from some old 1930s movie where your uncle is this merchant mariner who comes back from like Fiji once every two years. And you're ruffling through his bag to pull out a shrunken head. And he cracks you on the back of the head with his cane. <laughs> but if you're polite, he'll show you the shrunken head because that's what he wants to do anyway. Exactly. So I'm that, that guy. I really want to show, wanted to show Hopper how fun life can be. But yeah. as long as he's trying to bite people, that's not possible. Right. Once we get that shoved aside. No, oh, there's, uh, so, oh, there's so much goodness yeah. to occupy all of the time and all of the, the, the thinking mm -hmm. that goes into the bite, 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 oh, bite. Yeah. And that just disappeared. And, and for those of you who've heard way too much of the public discourse, I'm going to hit you with something rather shocking. 
some people do object to the use of any form of punishment and training without analyzing the context and what the benefit is to the dog. They don't even look at that. Well, if you're one of those people, I'm going to challenge you with something else because I'm going to flip the type of lingo you're using on yourself. Do you realize that if your dog is spayed or neutered, you had an elective surgery and sexually mutilated your dog yeah. and it's potentially fatal and it caused pain and suffering and you never, ever worried about that. And we're going to uh, let people stew on that for a couple of minutes as we come up to this break. And uh, while they're stewing, maybe you want to have a cup of coffee or take a drink of water, maybe a potty break or stand up or do something to kind of, uh, kind of just, you know, stretch a little bit. We'll be back in two minutes with more with Business Rules with Peter Feinstein. This week's guest, Gary Wilkes. up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What if you could save 55% or more on your TV advertising? We're Higher Power Marketing, and we can probably save you at least 55% on your TV ad buys. Don't believe me? That's okay. Just go to hpowermarketing.com and see and hear real success stories from real clients. Then ask us to show you how we can save you money too. Go to hpowermarketing.com. That's hpowermarketing.com. Exceptional media for less. That's hpowermarketing.com. If you think half of your company's advertising is working, but you're not sure which half, we can help. We're Higher Power Marketing, and we help our clients identify which advertising works and which is wasting their money. And then we fix what's broken so they can get more bang from their advertising buck. If you're not sure which half of your advertising is working, call Higher Power Marketing for help at 800-300-9124. That's 800-300-9124. Become a member of voiceamerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit voiceamerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. Live up to your fullest potential. This is the Voice America Empowerment Channel. You're tuned in to Business Rules with Peter Feinstein. Reach out to us with questions and comments at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or connect with Peter via email. The address is businessrules at hpowermarketing.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Business Rules with Peter Feinstein. My guest this week, Gary Wilkes. He trains dogs. Actually, he trains dogs and he trains people, even though the people don't necessarily realize it unless they're really smart. Like you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad you said that and I didn't. uh, (laughs) Yeah, I I knew going in that I was going to have to be trained because it's like, okay, I've got experience with dogs, but, you know, that was a year and a half before. And my dogs had been trained years before because they were almost 15 years old. So we had our patterns. 
um, dealing with a new snapper or snarler who happened to be named mm-hmm. Hopper, completely different canopies. And the things that I was doing, I knew I wasn't doing well because it wasn't working. And, uh, and that's when it was like just, um, you know, a cry for help to the vet. And, uh, yeah, and I realized, I mean, you know, Gary, you gave us, uh, you gave us a, a method to mm-hmm. cure the madness. I, um, I watched a cooking show last night on the Internet, and this guy's pitch is, no, it's not about recipes. It's about methods. If you know how to saute, you know how to saute. If you can make a white sauce, you can make a white sauce. If you can roast or braise or all that kind of stuff. And it struck home because that's what I do. Yeah. I don't need to have a recipe. I don't no. use a recipe. I look at the dog. I look at the context and say, what is most likely to benefit the animal first so that I can push other stuff off and fix it in due course. And that prioritization is huge because, to be honest with you, most people have been living with this problem for a while, and they're tired of it, and they want to see it go away. And in our case, it's something where, because of our experience previously with other dogs that had been um, for so long very positive, not initially because they needed to be trained too, and they were, but that was, you know, a decade and a half before, Mm -hmm. um, I was unwilling to put up with this for even the briefest period, all except the briefest. Which is a very honorable perspective. And unfortunately, many people today, I would say even a majority, somehow feel that they have to be martyrs. Oh my gosh. That they get a dog and, and if it can't be fixed, according to the rules of people who are now dominating the internet and and public discourse, that if you can't fix it their way, then you just have to live with it. Yeah. And, and guess what? They don't. In, in the 70s, when I was working, I was a shelter manager, I had thousands of people, not just one or two or five or a hundred. We're not talking about some poll, an exit poll. I had thousands of people give me their dog. And I talked with them and I got enough rapport with them to find out more than the cheap excuses like we're moving. Yeah, they may say they're moving, but if they're moving, they're going to take an old beat up Volkswagen bus with them and, you know, their <laughs> child's hobby horse from when she was five and now she's 30. They'll take anything, even if it's junk, but they won't take the dog. I have some new clients, by the way, who got, um, they got a dog in rescue from some people who are moving and they're teachers and they can't keep the dog. Okay, that sounds, I mean, that's reasonable. They got shipped to some other state and stuff. No, but they have another dog. They're taking that one. Uh, oh. They're not taking this one. Oh. Oh, and the dog has some aggression issues, we find out. Perfect opportunity to just dump it. That's what it was. While trying to do, um, what, what do they call it, virtue signaling or whatever, trying to elevate their status as loving, wonderful people while they do it. Because, sure. Oh, it's re- reluctantly we have to give this dog up. No, they've been trying to find an excuse forever, but since they were in one place, they know that if they got rid of the dog, they'd have to explain it. They would have no explanation. So now that they really are moving, <laughs> they can sort of pare the fat away from the lean and get rid of this dog. And my clients then get this dog, and two days into having rescued this dog, they realize, uh, Houston, that we have a problem. Yeah. This dog has teeth and knows how to use them. <laughs> so the, the, let me preface this by saying that people are people are people, and we have very limited ability to change their behavior ever. And many things culturally change over time. But a lot of the stuff that's happening now happened then. The big thing back then was you have to spay and neuter and 
the overpopulation problem when we're killing millions of dogs and all this. Okay. Well, it's the same thing today. The only difference is now it seems like there isn't enough animosity to go around. So we have people almost inventing problems so they can be nasty. Yeah. Which is weird that people who want to be called saints are really, really nasty. Yeah. And I think my the most recent one that drives that drives me nuts. My wife is hearing impaired. We have traveled with a service dog for 25 years. I've done seminars all over the country. We've done it internationally. And so I know how to travel with a service dog. I sure. Know, and we did it back in the days where this actually happened in Vegas once. This um, gate agent said, well, she's not blind. Why does she need a dog? <laughs> Because back then, everybody assumed it's just guide dogs. Right. And I've trained guide dog trainers, and I've trained service dog trainers. So I'm in that industry as well. But I live the life, I mean, of being stuck trying to get back to the airport at 11.30 p.m. because the shuttle bus driver from another country where dogs are unclean isn't going to let me get the dog on his bus. And my wife's back at the airport waiting for me to get there so I can go through baggage. Right. And security and get on the plane. And get on a plane, catch a, catch yeah, a flight it used, home. It used to be the Wild West. Now the problem is everybody wants to be a service dog Nazi. And they want to bust people who were cheating because they've got a Shih Tzu on the flight. And it, yeah, I mean, just who cares? Or, and, and they make a couple of mistakes. I was in Sky Harbor a few months ago. We were traveling. We came back. My cattle dog, and cattle dogs are known to be aggressive, territorial, not the dog you'd pick for service dogs, but thinking of who I am and what I do, I love them. And, and all the ones we've had have worked out beautifully. So we're trotting through baggage claim in Terminal 3, and two dogs wearing capes from the largest, best-known assistance dog school in California and the world had a fight break out right there. Now, I don't know if they were dogs in training. They looked adult or what the issue was, but that concerns me because my dog's there and these dogs are having a fight. Yeah. And the public has assumed that any dog that's rude in public is not actually a service dog. That is not correct. There are many people who have a service dog that use them in their daily life who are also shut-ins. And because of a medical, serious medical emergency, they might suddenly have to travel seven, eight years after the dog was trained by somebody. I don't warranty any dog I trained eight years ago to be able to be up to service dog level if that was my last contact. So it's not a downside to the service dog school if the dog's a butthead. It's almost to be expected because remember, this is like a wheelchair. It's something, it's an apparatus, a living apparatus, but it's an apparatus that helps the person. Yes. So in this most recent discussion of everybody trying to, you know, have cops put people in jail and they're coming up with fines and all these sort of punitive measures for cheaters. Good Lord. I would ask people to think for a second, how does that help my wife? And it doesn't. Because now, instead of her having to answer maybe once or twice at a gate agent of what's the dog's, why do you have a service dog kind of a thing. Now it's every little busybody in the airport is scoping out every single dog that's wearing a harness or whatever, and they're thinking that you're evil and bad and cheating. So that my wife is then confronted with having to be very open about her disability constantly, which is really not a good idea. I don't want to have to deal with it. And since there is no national certification under the ADA, there isn't any credential that you can use that's actually valid. Because even the big service dog schools don't have valid certifications, except their own. Okay, well, Peter, I call you certified. 
Yeah. <laughs> Hopper is now a certified service dog in, right. the, in the state of Arizona, says me. Yeah. I'm going to go get me a cape. And and so, yeah. And so <laughs> guess what? They make fun of people on the internet who get a cape and do all that kind of stuff and fake it. Well, the big schools are faking it. Right. There is no certification except. And so what you're really looking at is this, is I want to buy a car. I go to a car dealership. They tell me what they got. I buy it. Everything's fine. But even if they have a great warranty, that doesn't mean it isn't going to break. Right. Or be a problem. So for service dog certification, these businesses want to put out the best product. That's great. That's fine. But it's still legal to train your own dog. And that dog may not be perfectly trained. And also, if you're focused on the dog was fractious in public, so it's a fake, that just means that people who have really good obedience dogs can fake it all they want, and you'll never know. That's, that's actually very true. So we have this huge problem, and I'm going to boil it down to one tiny last question that allows us to move on. I want somebody to give me the number of actual, actually disabled people with service dogs who were barred from access to a hotel, transportation, or anything else last year. Now, the reason that number isn't going to come up is because if you really are disabled and somebody blocks you, you have got the EEOC and DOJ and uh, who knows, probably the Marines on your side. <laughs> yeah. And you're going to make somebody pay big time. And that's why it's not a problem. What is a problem is, and disappointing to me, is to see all of these people whose only interest in the topic is to be able to punish another human being for doing something they don't approve of. And honestly, I just assume they leave it alone. I want to travel like the good old days where it was a little bit of Wild West because my dog's well-trained. I've exited many an airplane where the flight attendants didn't even know there was a dog on the plane. That's my goal. But when I spoke at uh, Assistance Dogs International for a big convention down in Florida, there were about 250 service dogs there. Some of them, oh, my God, got in fights with other dogs. Why? They don't live with other dogs. Sure. They aren't supposed to do that. Right. And then I was on a flight with five service dogs, and four of them were jerks, and ours was asleep under the seat. So if we're going to make laws, if we're going to try to punish people, let's figure out what we're trying to achieve. And in my case, my focus always will be access to public transportation and lodging and public facilities for those with disabilities who need to have a dog. That's it. Anything yeah. else is ancillary, and I don't really – I think it's a waste of time. Well, and if it seeks first to punish, then it obviously is not first motivating um, to care for those who need the access. No, they've lost us. They don't care about my wife. They don't care about me being the handler. Right. They don't care about the people that have to deal with us. What they care about is being able to punish somebody. I don't like those kind of people. If your goal in life is to punish somebody else to make yourself feel good, you're mean. Yeah. For no reason. Get over it. Let us just live our life. Yeah. Although I find that with each passing year, that's becoming apparently quite popular. Yeah, I, uh, I hear it and I see it. Um, and it's something where I, I actually um, I see it more in um, what I call antisocial media, which uh, would be Facebook and Twitter. Mm -hmm. and uh, Except on my page. Well, tell us a little bit about your page because, I mean, I get a kick out of it. Um, I don't know that I see every post, but I see many posts because I'm not on every day. Um, but, I mean, the stuff that, that I see on there, um, I always laugh. I always smile. 
it, 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 you know, if it doesn't get a, a laugh or a heart or a thumbs up from me, mm-hmm. it's wildly unusual. So give me a sense of, of your use of it and, and what comes from that. I've been doing this a long time, yeah. and I've never been limited. You mentioned I train dogs. Okay, well, I train nine other species as well, everything from a 600-pound gray seal that was attacking his keepers to a squirrel monkey at the Phoenix Zoo that wouldn't, oh. drink, that wouldn't drink Valley Fever medicine. So I'm not limited by species. That being said, the majority of what I do is dogs. And so I might recount something on my Facebook page about the way that exotic animals are handled based on my own experience, not sure. just, and sometimes you can trust rumors in the industry, but sometimes you can't. Or I just told a tale of uh, when I was working at the Humane Society in Seattle, and I was supposed to lift, it was a staff meeting with the board members there, and I was supposed to lift this dog up. They were going to fake pretend kill it. Oh, yeah. With saline. And so <sighs> that in itself is an abomination because the people who are going to make decisions about it, aren't, they don't want to see it. Right. So I swung him up, and when I swung him up on the table, his anal glands shot anal gland solution all over where the pizzas were. <laughs> and everybody else just shunned the whole thing, and all I did was just sniff each piece because it smells so like anchovies that if it didn't smell like anchovies, there's nothing on it. And <laughs> I was fat and sassy, and they were all going cringing, thinking I was doing something weird. So I put stuff like that on there, also serious training information and um, the rules are basically no ad hominem attacks, and you have to stick to the topic. And I keep a polite group of people there as guests, and um, I, it, it's a good place to come to ask questions or just read. Gary, it has been just a, another sheer pleasure having you on the show, and so so much fun spending time with you. And uh, there may be a third week for us to do this. You never know. Um, but we are uh, we are sadly out of time. The show has just absolutely screamed by. Thank you so well, much. Peter, I thank you so much. It's always a pleasure. And uh, I appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And come back and hear more of Business Rules with Peter Feinstein next week. We will uh, we'll talk more and share more. Have a great day. Bye. Thank you for tuning into Business Rules. Be sure to join Peter Feinstein for another enlightening program next Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have a winning week.